0: Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Let us hear the word of God as it recorded in the gospel according to St. Mark, the 16th chapter, the 19th verse. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Christ Jesus, our Ascended Lord, dear friends, you who are here in God's house this morning, you Christian friends who are worshiping with us by means of the radio, and especially you, the men and women, of the Adult Membership Class. It must have been a day something like today, that fortieth day after Easter, that fortieth day after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It was on that fortieth day after his resurrection that Jesus appeared to the eleven apostles and he began to walk up the slope of the Mount of Olives with them. We are told that as they walked along, the 12 of them, they talked about many things. And then finally, Jesus with the eleven came to the crest of the Mount of Olives. In the very distant, there lay Bethlehem, and there lay also very much closer Bethany, the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, where Jesus always loved to go. And so there was Bethany, and on the very ridge of the Mount of Olives, as Jesus talked in that locale that he loved when he was here on earth, he raised his hands and he began to bless the eleven. And as he did so, they looked at him and something began to happen. And Jesus began to rise, and as he was going up, the eleven disciples just stood there and they gazed on him. And as he rose higher and higher, a cloud received him out of their sight. And the eleven disciples stood there transfixed, just looking up into the sky, when we are told in the word of God that there stood by them two men in white apparel, two angels, and said to them, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? And the angel said, the, the same Jesus that you have seen go into heaven will in like manner come, He will come again from heaven. And they were going to see him. And then we are told that they left the slope of the Mount of Olives and they came on back and they came into the city of Jerusalem. That happened on the 40th day after Jesus was raised from the dead. This coming Thursday commemorates that event which we call the ascension of Jesus Christ. I wonder, as we are here in God's house this morning, how many of us have really thrilled to the ascension of our Lord? In the Apostles' Creed, you know, we just said, He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I wonder how many of us realize just what a glorious event and occasion the ascension of Jesus really was on that fortieth day after Easter. And since this is the day when there are some of us who will commit ourselves to Jesus Christ for the first time in our life, and since this is also the day when the rest of us who have in the past committed ourselves to him will again this day recommit ourselves, reconsecrate ourselves to him, and resurrender to him, it is very good that on this occasion we look at this ascended Lord, this Christ that was received into heaven, to see what an auspicious and what a wondrous occasion and event it was in his life. The Gospel of Mark tells us that when he was received into heaven, he sat at the right hand of God. And therefore this ascension of our Lord was a momentous, a marvelous occasion, because it meant this, that he went to heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. A marvelous thing indeed, that Jesus was given the right hand of God as a place where he was to be seated. We may say to ourselves, what's so wonderful about the ascended Lord going to heaven and sitting at the right hand of God? It was a marvelous thing because in the first place, let's know this, that sitting at the right hand of God means that Jesus as man, as well as God, occupies the throne of honor the throne of real distinction in heaven jesus sits at the right hand of god you may say well god doesn't have a right hand does he god is a spirit is he not isn't god the father of spirit god the father never became a human being and that is right and so when the scripture talks about the right hand of god the scripture is speaking symbolically and the right hand of God is a symbol of his power, of his omnipotence, of the fact that God is almighty. And it also means something else therefore, that when someone is seated at the right hand of God, that means that that person occupies the place of honor, that person occupies the place of distinction, that person occupies the exalted place in heaven. And so when Jesus went to heaven, On ascension day, and sat at the right hand of God, there was given him the very throne of heaven. Even as you and I, when we are seated at the right hand of our host or hostess, that we are occupying the place of honor and the place of distinction, But you may say to me, well, wasn't the throne of heaven always the throne of Jesus? And to be sure, it was. But when he went to heaven on the 40th day after Easter, there was something different than the time when he went to heaven on Good Friday afternoon when he died. Bear in mind, on Good Friday when Jesus went to heaven, his body remained here on earth. But on the 40th day when he ascended to heaven, he went with his body. He went to heaven as a human being. And to understand just what a glorious event that was, we must know this, that on the ascension day, he was seated at the right hand of God as a human being, as well as being God himself. Bear in mind that Jesus was no less than God the Son. And when he realized this world needed to be redeemed from sin, God the Son humbled himself and he came into this world and became a human being. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost and there was given to him a human body and a human soul without sin. And God became incarnate. God became a human being entering into an inseparable union as a human being and came into this world. It meant a humiliation on the part of the Son of God. And when he became a human being, that human nature of his shared in all the glory and the attributes of his divine nature. But while he was here on earth, he laid aside the glory that was his, using it only occasionally. We know that the glory of Jesus oozed out only once from his body. Remember that occasion when one night he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And when they were up there, they looked at Jesus and they saw him looking in a way in which they had never seen him look before. They looked and his face was shining as bright as the light and his clothing was as white as Fuller's earth. And they looked and they were dazzled because the glory of the Son of God was literally oozing out of his human body and they got a glimpse of the glory that was his as the son of God and therefore on the ascension day when Jesus went to heaven he went to heaven as a man he went with his human body and then when he was given the right hand of God he sits on the throne of God and that human nature of his shares in all of the vastness and the glory that is his as the eternal son of god the king of kings and the lord of lords that's what the ascension meant jesus went to heaven as a human being elijah is in heaven with his body there was enoch who walked with god and enoch was not for god took him there are others in heaven with their bodies but on the throne of heaven there he is the son of god and on the ascension day he who was also a man seated on the throne of heaven in all the vastness and the glory and the magnitude that was his from eternity. And therefore, seated at the right hand of God means this to you and me today. It means that he gloriously completed the great mission for which he had come into the world. Jesus came into this world to die, didn't he? The Son of God came into the world as a human being. And that meant that he was to die on Calvary, bearing the guilt and punishment of your sins and mine on the cross. That meant that he was to rise again from the grave, giving the eternal testimony that he who was alive had conquered and that he had therefore accomplished the great task of his coming. But then there was something else that he had to do. From the time of his resurrection, it became his duty and his mission to convince those of his followers that he was alive. Remember on Easter Sunday, He appeared to Mary Magdalene first, and then he appeared to the women. On that afternoon, he appeared to the men who were on the way to Emmaus, Cleopas, and the unnamed disciple. There was also an appearance to Peter sometime that afternoon. And that night, an appearance to the eleven behind locked doors. The two from Emmaus had come to the disciples and said, We have seen the Lord. And the disciples said, No, you have not seen him. And then it was that Jesus stood in their midst, and he upbraided them for their unbelief, that they would not believe those who had said that they had seen him alive again. The following Sunday night, Thomas was there. He was not present on Easter Sunday night. It was the mission of Jesus that his followers had to be convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was alive. And on the following Sunday night when Thomas was there, Thomas, who had said he would never believe until he could put the finger in the prince in Jesus' hands, that Sunday night, the apostle Thomas was there and he was given the privilege of putting his finger into the prince in Jesus' hands and in his feet and in his side. And then Thomas, being convinced, said, My Lord and my God, Jesus ate fish and honey with them, showing them that he was a human being. There was also the appearance up in Galilee, about a hundred miles from Jerusalem, when the seven were fishing that night and that morning breakfast on the Sea of Galilee. And then again, there was an appearance to James. And then the day when he walked up on the Mount of Olives, the day of his ascension, the great mission of Christ was this, that every follower had to have a conviction, and that is that Jesus was alive again. And therefore, the ascension of Christ is a glorious, magnificent event in his life. He is seated at the right hand of God as a human being, shining in all of the glory that is his as the Son of God, a mission accomplished, everything done. And therefore, on this day, as we celebrate the ascension of our Lord, and as some of us shall commit ourselves to Christ for the first time in our life, The rest of us shall recommit ourselves to this ascended Lord. We ought to do it, friends, in a sense of high privilege. We ought to do it in this feeling. What an honor. What a distinction is yours and mine that we can actually surrender to such a Christ who is seated at the right hand of God, whose glory shines throughout all eternity. It's a privilege, is it not? And when we can see it as a privilege of our life, then and only then are we going to appreciate what Jesus really has accomplished for us. Does it mean anything that God's Son came out of the ivory palaces and came into this world and suffered and died for you and me that in his shed blood we might have eternal life? Does it mean anything? Do you realize this? If Christ had not come... It would have been better for God never to have created this universe. Oh, some of us say, but look at the vastness of the world. To be alive today, some of us as kids remember when we started to play with radios with little pieces of galena and again with little crystal sets and whenever you were able to put the little pin on a certain point and I know in St. Louis when we were able to get KDKA in Pittsburgh we thought what a wonderful thing that on a little set you might pick up pittsburgh pennsylvania and then came oh there's the automobile and the television then we got into the atomic age and now we are into the space age and we say oh just to be alive to be alive in the world and yet know this that if god's son had not come into the world it would have been better for god never to have created a human race never to have created a universe because our Lord himself said about Judas it were better for that man if he had never been born. How many of us realize without a Christ, without an ascended Lord, God again in his wisdom would never have created a universe. And therefore when we can surrender ourselves to this ascended Lord with a feeling of distinction and honor, then we will also have this feeling. Thank God that he called me. How many of us this morning are grateful to God that we have been called to Jesus Christ? Oh, some of us can say, well, I was born and reared in a Christian home and I was brought to Christ. Some of us today can say, well, I never knew him. I didn't come out of a Christian home. I was brought to Christ through the woman that I met that I married or through the husband that I met whom I married. Some of us can say, I I didn't know Jesus Christ and I have come to know him through an intimate relationship, through some friend, somebody that I've worked with how many of us can say thank god that somehow or other jesus christ reached down and he found me you know i think of saint paul there was a man that could never forget why jesus ever got down so low as to get him Paul, who was the persecutor of the church of God, when he talked about his own conversion when he was brought to Christ, he said, Jesus came to him as of a man born out of due time. He says, I was born like a fetus, a smelling thing. What God ever saw in me, Paul could never get over it. He said, I don't know, but God called me. And it was the gratitude of his life to think that Jesus reached so low that he found him and brought him to a conviction of sin and brought him to a living faith in Jesus Christ. And the only answer that Paul could give to it is he wondered about it. Why did Christ ever call me? Why was I privileged to know him, that in him I might have salvation? The only answer Paul could give was this. Perhaps when he reached so low to get me, he was trying to tell the world that no one was so low, but what he could reach down and get him to. And that was the comfort in the life of Saint Paul. Oh, when we commit ourselves, it ought to be a sense of distinction and honor, nothing to be ashamed of. This is the Festival of the Ascension. What a day it must have been on that Thursday, 40 days after Easter, when Jesus appeared to the eleven and they walked up the slope of the Mount of Olives, and there was Bethany in the vicinity. And Jesus blessed them and he went to heaven. It seemed like, oh, such an inconsequential event. But when the Word of God says he was received up into heaven, the Word of God says, and he sat at the right hand of God. Oh, what does it mean to sit at the right hand of God? That's what makes this ascension a momentous, a marvelous, a magnificent event. Because in the second place, it means this, that Jesus as man, as well as God, that he rules over all things in heaven and in earth. God says, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. What does it mean that the ascended Lord is seated at the right hand of God? It means this, that as man as well as God, because there is a man on the throne in heaven who is also God, he rules over all things in heaven and in earth jesus christ on the ascension day when he went to heaven and was seated at the right hand of god in the place of honor seated on the throne of heaven he thereby as man and as god was given the prerogative over all things in heaven that means he rules over the angels of god that means he rules over the saints the christians who have died and who have gone to heaven that means that when they sing the new new song in heaven they sing it to our ascended lord worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing that's what the ascension means heaven bows in obeisance heaven bows in honor and homage to the man who is also very god a very god king of kings and lord of lords and it means also that this jesus who is man as well as god he still rules in the midst of his enemies jesus rules the world right now and thank god as a man as well as god you know as a man makes us feel good because we say he was here on earth, he walked this soil for 33 years, he knew what enemies were, he was with them, he sat where they sat, he walked where we walk, and he had an intimate, first-hand connection with the enemies of the cross, and yet he rules in the midst of his enemies. And men say today, as we look out on the world, and we say, war breaks out here, and then here is another a great climax that occurs, and then here is another crisis that occurs, and we look out into the world, and we say... Who's running this world? Is the ascended Lord still in control? Listen. If you ever have any doubt, just look to the cross. Bear in mind when Jesus was here on earth, they killed him, didn't they? They thought his enemies, that was the end of any kind of a work on the part of God for goodness and for righteousness and for decency and for truth and for salvation. The worst that the world, the enemies of Christ, could have done was to have put him to death. And when they put him to death, they thought it was over. But did the world, the enemies of Christ, realize that in putting him to death, they were playing right into God's hands? They couldn't have done anything better, even though they meant it at the worst thing. Why? Because God took that death of Jesus and God overruled it so that the death of Jesus has become the hope of the world. That because of Calvary, there is forgiveness and there is life and salvation for all men. The greatest reversal that has ever taken place in human history. And when you and I say to ourselves, Who's ruling this world? Just look to the cross and know this just as certain. As God overruled the cross in the great reversal in all human history, Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord, is seated at the right hand of God and he's still running the show. And that means this, as the word of God assures us that because he is seated at the right hand, the day is going to come when every knee of every human being in heaven and on earth and under the earth shall confess him as Lord, as Paul says, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know what that means? That means that this ascended king is going to come, and that means that the very fallen angels and the devils of hell that means that every man that is turned against jesus christ that means that a khrushchev and it means that a stalin and it means that a hitler and it means that a karl marx the day is going to come when every last one of them will bow the knee and will recognize him as lord and god and don't forget Oh, it's going to be too late for millions, but again, it's coming through for victory. The ascended Lord will have every man acknowledge him as Lord. That's what ascension means because he still rules heaven and earth. That's why today as we recommit ourselves to this ascended Christ, and some of us for the first time in our lives, We ought to do it with a sense of high privilege, we ought to do it with a sense of distinction. And when we can do it that way, we're going on and look to the future courageously and fearlessly. What's there to be afraid of? What are we afraid of? There isn't anything that is ever going to happen to you or me that is going to be so disastrous that is going to be so terrible that that event will be able to simply draw you and me away from Jesus Christ against our will. It'll never take place. Jesus assures you and me that because he is still at the right hand of God and that his enemies are his footstool, he has his feet on their necks. Jesus assures you and me that in this world no power of Satan or hell will ever be able to draw you and me and pull us away from Christ against our will. It's like Paul said when he faced an uncertain future living with the enemies of the cross. Paul put it this way, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And you and I can believe that and we can walk along knowing there be strength for the day. There isn't any power of hell that can pull you and me away from our Lord against our will. Strength will be there because ascension means this. That on the 40th day, when he walked up the slope of the Mount of Olives with the 11, and when he went to heaven, he was seated at the right hand of God. And as a man, understanding human nature and yet as very God of very gods, he sits and he controls all power in heaven and in earth. And it means also this. The fact that he is seated at the right hand of God makes his ascension a glorious and a momentous event in his life because it means this to Jesus as man as well as God. He still guides the destiny of his beloved church. Oh, the apple of his eye is his church. Don't forget that. And when he as a man on ascension day went to heaven as well as God, and when there was given him true man as well as true God the place of honor and distinction in heaven. He was there to rule because Mark tells us that before his ascension there was another appearance that he made. Remember before his death he had told his disciples, Don't forget you're going to meet me up in Galilee, about a hundred miles away from Jerusalem. Well that occurred too after his resurrection. There was one time and Paul mentions that Jesus appeared to about 500 of his followers at one time evidently it was the time when he gave the great commission five hundred of them met him up in Galilee on some unnamed mountain and the eleven were there and the risen Christ appeared and that is when he spoke the Great Commission, when he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And he told them, Go on out and spread the good news. And he said, I will give you tokens and signs by the way which will confirm the word that you're going to preach. He said, In my name you're going to be able to drive out demons, and they were... He said, in my name, you're going to speak in foreign languages that you've never learned before. In my name, you're going to be able to pick up serpents. In my name, you may drink something that is a deadly poison, but it won't hurt you. In my name, you will be able to lay your hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Those were the things to confirm the gospel. He told them to go out into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And they went on out. And here we are nearly 2,000 years later and Christ the Ascended Lord is seated at the right hand of God watching the apple of his eye, his church, and what can we say about it? The gates of hell have never prevailed against it. The enemies of God still fight the church but the church of Jesus Christ goes on. The gospel is prayed, souls are won, men are being baptized, men are being converted, men are absolutely standing in a conviction of faith in him and confessing him as Lord and as Christ and personal Savior, the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. And that means that because he is seated at the right hand of God, guiding the destiny of his church, he's going to come again. And every promise that the risen, ascended Lord has made shall be most gloriously fulfilled. Yes, our bodies will be raised from the dead. And we shall put on incorruptible bodies in him, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, he has promised. We shall be reunited with our glorified body and soul and we shall be forever with him. And we shall know even as we are known in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, that's the very hope. That's the very substance of the Christian joy. And when Ascension Day comes and we say, Our Lord was received into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God, uh, thank God that we know that he's coming to cause the very existence of his church. The very fact that it moves on. It may not be moving as fast as we want it to move, but it is moving. The very fact that it still is here is the indisputable proof that Jesus as man as well as God is seated at the right hand of God. And that's why today, as again, this is commitment and recommitment day, when as adults we shall see some who shall surrender to Jesus Christ for the first time in their life something to rejoice over, something to consider a high privilege. And The rest of us, again, recommitting ourselves to him, our Christ, our Lord, doing it unashamedly, doing it as a high privilege. And when we can do it in that kind of a spirit, then we're going to consider it a joy to go out and to share this Christ with others. Where do new members come from? Did you ever ask yourself that question, where do new members come from? want me to tell you? Most new members come from new members. Isn't that right? Most new members come from new members. The new member, especially the one who has come to know Christ for the first time in his life, especially the one who has come to know the answer to a guilty conscience, the one who has come to know the answer to the sin problem. The one who has come to know what it means to have Christ in peace within. Isn't it strange? He primarily is the one that goes out and tells somebody else what Christ means to him. What's wrong go with the rest of us? What's wrong with the person that isn't the new member? What's wrong with this thing of concern? What's wrong with the urgency? Last Thursday we had an example, didn't we? Oh, another astronaut was put into space. And of course, when one has been in space, as John Glenn was to send another one, it didn't seem to have the urgency and the interest that the first astronaut got when he went around the earth for three times. Isn't that right? Even the papers remarked there wasn't the interest. But what happened? When Scott Carpenter was coming back, coming back, he was lost, wasn't he? I was at the hospital at the time. And suddenly, uh, the United States, the world woke up to something. A man was lost. Where the he overshot his mark. And then we began to hear, and oh, radios went on, didn't they? And there was a great concern. We heard, the Navy has a boat in such and such a region, and it's starting. And here is something, here's a helicopter that's going. And here is another boat that has turned around in its course, and it's going. And you and I began to listen and say, a man's loss. And the world was concerned about a man's earthly welfare, and thank God that it was. lost for 41 minutes. There was concern, where was this man, Scott Carpenter? It was an amazing thing. And then over the air, as commentators began to talk, they said, uh, this is the thing which we must expect. And then they went on, but what we can do now is we can stand and hope. And did you notice the number that said, and we must pray? Unashamedly, wasn't there? That claim, come on, Christians. And I'm sure that you said a prayer, and I'm sure that I did. There was a concern for a man that was lost. Human life, wonderful. But listen, what I want to know is this. Why is it? that if the whole world, and especially our own nation, could get so concerned about the human welfare of a man, pray God, why is it that you and I can't get concerned about the eternal welfare of a person?
1: Why doesn't it bother
0: you and me if the person sitting alongside you this morning is lost? Oh, to be lost physically, to die, that's coming to all of us. But to be lost when there is a living Christ that brings life and salvation, doesn't it mean anything? Where is the concern of the church? When we join the church, we're not joining a lodge. We're not joining something to give us status in the community. We're joining the body of Christ. We're joining the greatest fellowship that exists in all the world, the fellowship of the saved. Oh God, where is concern? Concern for human souls, washed in the blood of Jesus. I wonder what Jesus, seated at the right hand, I wonder what he thinks. When he thinks that he, as God's son, came into the world and made the supreme sacrifice, became a human being, suffered and died and rose again, ascended to heaven to guide his church. I wonder what he thinks when men pass him by and they smile at him and it doesn't mean anything, but the physical welfare of a person, well, that becomes so supreme and so paramount. Thank God we've got a nation that cares. But oh, we need something even greater. We need a church. That cares. A church that says the soul's lost without him. A church that prays. And a church that lives. And a church that isn't ashamed to go out and to share him. To go out and to preach the gospel to all the creation. That a man that believes in Jesus should be saved. A man that rejects him is lost. Tragedy without compensation. Oh, it must have been a beautiful day, that 40th day, when Jesus walked up the slope of the Mount of Olives with the 11. I suppose passers-by came down, and little did they realize what was taking place, that the Lord of glory had appeared to his 11. They were up on the slope of the Mount of Olives. The world didn't know what was taking place. I hope this summer to stand on the Mount of Olives, about in the place where they think that Jesus ascended into heaven. And oh, on that occasion, the the world didn't know, but he raised his hands and he blessed them. And just 11 men saw it, but oh, it was an earth-shaking thing. And he went up to heaven and they stood there gazing and they went out and they preached and they shared Jesus Christ because that was the answer to every problem that confronts a man. Would to God that today you and I, as we recommit ourselves and as some of us do it for the first time, we might do it in the sense of a high privilege a noble honor that comes to us by the providence of god and then to go out and to share it with some lost soul that hasn't the privilege that we have of knowing what it means to be forgiven as regards sin, knowing what it means to be saved let us sing on the glory road today As we commit ourselves to the ascended Lord, let me be thine forever, my gracious God and Lord. May I forsake thee never, nor wander from thy word. Preserve me from the mazes of error and distrust, and I shall sing thy praises forever with the just. God bless you, members that are being received today. We welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord, who is seated at the right hand of God. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.